0: Hello, and welcome to the Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit SoullistChurch.com. Um, but uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, and uh, like Andrew said, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you guys have been going through John, and it's, it's interesting when you look at the Gospels um, kind of back to back to back to back. Um, the way they're laid out, you sort of see highlighted different things about who Jesus is, and that's really the intention of the, the authors, where John, his real primary focus, and he tells us in John chapter 20, that he, he wants to show who Jesus is so that all would believe that he is the Son of God, and that all would have life through who he is. And then Mark's gospel really portrays Jesus as the servant of Jesus, the servant savior. And throughout Mark's gospel, he's always doing something. Kind of the word, the key word that you see in John's gospel is the word immediately. It's like always immediately. It's immediately he did this and immediately he did that. Like almost every chapter you see that word. And so constantly, Jesus is doing something. He's serving. There's not a whole lot of sermons in Mark's gospel. It's a lot of him serving. It's a lot of him doing. Now, interestingly enough, the text that we're going to consider uh, this morning is actually the opposite of Jesus doing. It's the opposite of Jesus doing, and we'll see that in a minute. I've titled this message, if you want to jot this down, What to do when you don't know what to do. What to do when you don't know what to do. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35 we read this, on the same day when evening had come, pause for just a moment, on the same day, Jesus has been teaching, uh, he's been uh, teaching through parables, which is uh, his primary way of teaching, he's been talking, he's just picked his final 12 apostles, it was like kind of the bachelor situation, and they were all narrowed down to the final 12, and like this is them, and these are the, the apostles, and then on the same day, we're told that evening had come, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray one more time and then we'll talk about this. Father, we thank you again so much for your word. God, we thank you for who you are and your heart for for us, for those that know you, God, and your heart for those that don't know you. And Lord, we pray that in this moment, wherever we find ourselves in faith, that God, you would speak to us, you reveal your heart to us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, <clears throat> we see in this text, and what I kind of want us to consider is the different reactions that the apostles have in the middle of this. Storm. Now, when you follow, this is Mark 4, so not a whole lot has happened yet in the gospel, although, like I said, Mark is kind of rapid fire through the different events of Jesus. But up until this point, um, when they got into the boat, Jesus was the one that directed them to this situation. He told them to get in the boat, He was the one that told them to leave their safety and go and on the other side of this journey in the boat they were going to be met with a lot of opposition. In fact, Mark chapter 5 is when we meet a guy by the name of Legion and he's best known for being the crazy naked demon possessed guy. You know him? Like they show up, he's in caves, no chains can hold him down. He's like screaming, he's crazy. He and then they ask him his name and he's like my name's Legion because we are many, which is such a weird conversation to have with a person. And uh, this is what uh, they are led to, so they leave the safety of what they know, they get into the boat, they go across to the other side to be with more opposition, and here they are in this boat, and their life is in jeopardy. Now, this storm has come, they're afraid, they're upset, they're not sure what's going on. And in their hour of need, it would seem like, where's Jesus? He's asleep on a pillow. I love that language. Like he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And it's, it's, it's almost shocking. And, and the, the drama of it would be sort of, uh, if you're going through Mark's gospel and the way he presents it, this is really the first time Jesus has slowed down. Jesus is immediately, its from his baptism, to being tempted, to preaching the gospel, to picking his disciples, to healing people, and all of these things. It's just boom, boom, one after another. All these things are happening. He's just picked his 12 closest guys. They're like, okay, Jesus has our back. We're going to roll with him. This is how it's going to be. And where's Jesus? In the middle of a storm, asleep on a pillow. And and part of it is to cause us to go, like, what is happening? Why is Jesus asleep on a pillow? And I read this, and, and I can't help but relate to what the apostles are feeling in this moment. When situations in life, when storms, if you will, in life come along, whether it's just chaos or confusion or heartbreak or hurt or disappointment or sickness or whatever it might be those situations in life come and how often does it feel like jesus is asleep on a pillow like you're like god this is like your moment my life is falling apart this is isn't this what you do where are you jesus and it seems like if we're honest that At times, it seems like we, we're praying, we hear no answer, we're asking God, nothing is happening, and it can seem like in the middle of our storm, Jesus is asleep on a pillow. In the middle of our storm, Jesus is asleep on our pillow. And so, what do we do when we don't know what to do, and it seems like He's not doing anything either? What do we do when we don't know what to do, and it seems like God's not doing anything I want to show us uh, in this text sort of four different responses that are happening in the middle of the storm. And I think we probably could relate to all of these responses. We're going to look at three bad examples and then we're going to look at one good example of how to respond in the middle of a storm. And what we tend to do when we don't know what to do. The first thing I want us to notice is panic. Panic. Right? This is what the apostles do in the middle of their storm. When Jesus finally does wake up, he says to them, Why are you so fearful and why don't you have any faith? I imagine the scene that Jesus, like, he wakes up like no big deal, everything's fine. He's just been asleep on a pillow and he wakes up into what? Chaos. The disciples, why are you so fearful? They are in an outright panic. And for many of us, when we walk into something, unknown, panic is our response. Panic is our reaction. Now, we live in a world of panic, don't we? Our culture, I think, is designed, at least the news is designed to make us panic. I remember a couple years ago when one of the hurricanes was coming, I think it was Matthew, one of them, I don't remember. We were in our house, we had the news on for whatever reason. My advice, don't turn the, like get what you need and then turn off, pretend the power is out. Play cards until it's over. But anyways, the the news was on and they were just like, I remember them saying, you're going to (laughs) die. Like, do you remember this? They They were like body bags. If you don't leave, you will leave in a body bag. And I remember my, my wife and I were in our kitchen and we had a couple friends staying with us. And I said to her, like, this is it, isn't it? We're, <laughs> we're going to die, aren't we? Because why? The, 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 the news just makes us panic. We're freaking out. Because we live in a, in a world of constant panic. Now, in our Western culture, we live uh, in the myth of progress. What I mean by that is we think that we are always progressing into some sort of utopian future where everything is perfect and all of our advances that we have are leading to ultimately perfection. At least that's this myth in our culture. The thought that our life is moving towards something better and most people would say that we are advancing and progressing. I heard a quote by a pastor. His name's John Mark Comer. He in a message that he titled "Becoming a Non-Anxious Presence." If you have the time, John Mark Comer, "Becoming a Non-Anxious Presence," an amazing sermon. But he said this quote: Although we are progressing economically and technologically, we are breaking down emotionally, morally, and socially. And there's an aspect of as we advance with technology, and as we advance in our economy, and all these things are trending upwards, it seems like morally, and, and socially, and especially spiritually, we are breaking down. And we don't need to even break down all the stats about anxiety and worry. One stat I read is that 39% of people would say that they are more anxious today than they were a year ago. That millennials are the most anxious Anxious generation ever known, but that baby boomers had the greatest increase in anxiety from 2017 to 2018. So all of us are anxious. All of us are stressed out, and we live in a culture that sort of forces and pushes anxiety. We live in a world of panic. And the outward chaos of life causes inward stress and anxiety, which often leads to fear or doubt, or saying things we shouldn't say, or doing things we shouldn't do, and reacting in ways because of the outward pressures, what happens is we begin to perpetuate the chaos. What I mean by that is when we're faced with things we don't understand and we can't control, we begin to act like the storm that we're in. I love the apostles because here they are. The storm is happening all around them. It's chaos. There's wind and waves. Their boat is filling up. They don't know what to do. And what do they do? They start running around. They're freaking out. They're they're stressed out. They're panicking. They're fearful. And so often when difficulty comes, that's our reaction. There's chaos around us, which leads to chaos inside of us. And we begin to act like the storm that we're in. We act like the, the chaos that surrounds us. Let me give us an example. Imagine a storm is you lose your job. Right? You lose your job. And there's so many ways we respond to that. But you begin to play the victim or the blame game. It's everybody else's fault. Or you retreat and become bitter to the world. Does any of that actually help your situation? No. Right? Right? What it does is it perpetuates the chaos. It causes a storm that's going on around you. You begin to act like the storm inside of you, and you simply just perpetuate the chaos all around. But when we're in a storm, we tend to panic. We start doing things we shouldn't do or acting in the same way as the things we're afraid of, and we perpetuate the panic. And that's their first sort of response is panic. Many of us can relate to that idea. The second thing that they do is prosecute. They panic, but then they prosecute. Do you notice the language? They wake Jesus up, and I, I, that scene has to be funny, right? Jesus asleep in the stern on a pillow. I gotta imagine them like, "You wake him up? No, you wake him up!" Like so, like what do they do? And then finally, maybe they push somebody in, or or Peter or whoever's like, "I'll do it." And they wake him up, and they go, "Jesus!" Don't you care that we're perishing? Think about that. This is Jesus. They've seen him already perform miracles and do the impossible. And they burst in. He's asleep on a pillow. They burst in and they say, don't you care about us? Do you even care that we are perishing? There's a tendency in the midst of the unknown, to forget about what God has done and who he is and immediately just assume the worst. God, if you cared about me, I wouldn't be in this situation. Don't you care that we are perishing? We assume God doesn't care or God isn't loving or God isn't capable of helping me because if he was capable, he would have helped me. We don't give God the benefit of the doubt and immediately blame him for our situation. And Jesus is asleep, and they assume that that means he doesn't care. Here Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the middle of the storm, and what their assumption is, is because he's asleep, he doesn't care about me. Because he's not answering, because he's not in the middle of this, because he's not freaking out like I am, because he's not in the situation like I am, that must mean he doesn't care about what I'm going through. And if we're honest, I'm sure we felt like this. We're we're, we're praying to God and it seems like he's not answering or he's not listening. Because if he was listening, he would help me. If he was listening, he would change the situation. If he was listening, he would do something about this. Because it's easier to blame God than it is to lean into him and learn what he's doing in the middle of the chaos. And I love Jesus' response to them. In verse 40, I want to read it in the NIV. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, after all you've seen, do you still not believe that I am capable of fixing the situation? And not only am I capable, but I'm also in control. Do you still have no faith? At this point in Mark's gospel, they've seen Jesus heal a guy that was paralyzed from birth. It's that famous story where Jesus is preaching in a house and the house is filled with people and these four guys bring their friend who's paralyzed and they can't get him in the door because it's so full. So they cause the biggest sermon distraction of all time. They rip the roof off the building and they lower the guy. Could you imagine that? Every time I read this story, I'm like, this is so crazy. They lower the guy, and then what does Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody thinks in their mind, who is this that can forgive sins? And then he answers their inward thoughts, and he goes, oh, you don't think I can forgive sins? He says, what's easier to do, to forgive sins or to tell this guy to stand up and walk? And he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I tell you, arise, get up and walk. And immediately the guy stands up and walks out. The apostles were there. They saw it. The the miraculous, not only of healing the guy, but mind reading. Like Jesus is doing the impossible. Peter's mother-in-law at this point had been healed. He's cast demons out of people. He's healed a leper and countless others. And here they are. And I wonder if they're thinking that Jesus does things for other people, but he doesn't do things for me. Like Sure, Jesus will heal that person or sure, Jesus will help so and so and Jesus will be there for them but he doesn't answer my prayers. And their immediate response is to blame God and doubt God rather than basing their present circumstance on all that God has done. They ignore all the rest and focus on how they feel. And I just want us to sort of Examine our own heart posture towards God when we feel like he's not answering our prayers or he hasn't answered our prayers in the past. We immediately shift our our focus rather than on the reality that God is good and the reality that he's in control that we go God, you must not be good or you must not be in control or you're incapable of helping me because if you did or if you were, you would have helped me through this situation and you didn't. And there's a tendency in all of us to sort of put God on trial, <laughs> prosecute and say, w- don't you care about me? Where were you on this night, at this time, at this hour? We've got God on the stand and we're pacing back and forth. Where were you on the night of the 11th when I needed you and you didn't show up? And we put God on trial rather than trusting that he's in control. We need to trust in who he is. We need to recognize that even though he might not be answering in this moment or even though he didn't answer in the way we thought he should have, we've got to understand that God is good and he's in control. Now, the third thing I want us to see is perseverance, perseverance. Now, this isn't in this story, and that's why uh, Pastor Andrew mentioned to go to Mark chapter 6. So we're going to go to Mark uh, 6 at this point. Um, and this is a very similar story, a very similar story, Mark 6. Mark um, 6. In verse 45, because this, the story that we just read about isn't the only time Jesus calms a storm. In fact, I would say that this is probably the less famous of the two times that Jesus causes a storm. Because the more famous one is when Peter walks on water, right? We know that one. That's kind of what happens in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says this, Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, While he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. Then he saw them, that's the disciples, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and they would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he went up to the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, this is the same story where, where Peter walks on water. Um, a lot of people believe that Mark's gospel was written by Mark, but sort of narrated or spoken by the apostle Peter. And so if that were the case, Peter probably intentionally left the little portion out where he walks on water and then gets his eyes on the winds and the waves and begins to sink. But this is the same story. This is the same moment. The other gospels just sort, sort of shed light on that part of the story now this is the second time right that Jesus calms a storm but this time Jesus isn't asleep on the pillow in fact he's not even on the boat (laughs) Jesus isn't even on the boat he's like I'm gonna stay here and pray you guys do your thing and so he sends them into the boat and they begin to go out and then while they're crossing it a routine sort of trek for them These guys were fishermen from the Galilee, they're on the Galilee, they're crossing over to the other side. This is something they were used to, something that they did. So they're they're crossing over to the other side and another storm kicks up. And it's common to this day that the way the Galilee is placed and the mountains around it, that wind will come whipping through the valley and stir up waves really quickly. And so this is one of those moments, just like in the other story, where all of a sudden it's calm, it's normal, and then the wind picks up out of nowhere, causes the waves, And then very quickly, it goes from like an evening cruise to your life's in jeopardy. But I've got to hand it to the disciples in this story because they seem less afraid this time around. They're not panicking like they did the first time. In fact, we're told that they just kept rowing, that they got in the boat They started crossing over to the other side. This wind kicks up. The storm kicks up. The same probably fear that was in them from before, but this time they just kept rowing. We're told that they left in the evening and rowed until the fourth watch, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So for somewhere between four to six hours, they rowed on the Galilee that night with no Jesus. Right? So they're crossing the other side. Last time this happened, we freaked out. <laughs> last time this happened, we panicked. We blamed Jesus. We were so upset. And they're like, this time, we're just gonna take care of it ourselves. That's fine. Jesus is asleep last time, nowhere to be found this time. We will get to the other side. For four to six hours. Think about that. They're trying to row across this lake. For four to six hours, they're just like, keep your head down, just keep going. We got this. Almost there. Almost there, Jesus watching, and then Jesus walks on the water, does a miraculous, shows up, calms the storm, and ends it. This time, they didn't give up or blame. They just put their head down and fought. Now, let me ask you, did this work? Did them just putting their head down and fighting and trying to make it across to the other side, did it solve any other problems? No. In fact, they were probably just exhausted at this point. At least before, they're like, we didn't do a whole lot of work. We just got mad. But now they exhaust themselves in an attempt to get through their storm. And I wonder how many of us, when chaos in life comes, when the storms of life hit us, because it happens to all of us. Nobody's immune to difficulty or or, or pain or suffering. It's a reality for human beings and followers of Jesus. But for many of us, when storms come, we're the type of people that just say, I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to get through this. I don't need anybody's help. I'm not blaming God because God God helps those that help themselves. And so I'm just going to make sure that I get through this in my own strength. And here they are in just as much danger as they were in the other story. And oftentimes when we're faced with difficult circumstances, we think we just need more perseverance and more resolve. We're the captains of our destiny and we'll make a way. But we find ourselves just as stuck as before, but now we're exhausted too. The reality of these stories, both of these stories, is that they're miracle stories, aren't they? Miracles. It's God doing what doesn't happen. Both calming the storm and walking on water. These things are, they're miracle stories. It's supernatural. It's otherworldly. It's, it's God. It's something beyond what we're used to. And I think we, as a culture, have sort of evolved past the idea of miracles, like this is twenty twenty like miracles really like this we get it like we understand that it's either a trick or it's just this is just a nice story to you know help us when the storm is just you know an illustration or analogy of life and and can I tell you, can I, can I just ask you to consider for a moment that maybe this really is a miracle that happens, that God does the miraculous, it, but so much of our world today as we live that we live in is about control, and if we want a better future, you have to take hold of it yourself, and you have to will it into existence, because there is no God, there are no miracles, and there's no one coming for us, and so you better get your own. And it's the belief that you can actually control what goes on around you. Sure, if we're honest and we we raised our hands, we could say, how many of you can actually think you can control what goes on around us? Most of us would say, we can't. Like, we can't even control the people that live in our house. (laughs) And yet there's this, this, this belief, this thought that we can control what goes on around us. But the truth is we can't control what happens. And peace in the storm happens when we can come to the end of ourselves. It isn't about perseverance and willpower. It's about letting go and trusting in God. And the, the supernatural of the story is the what happens so that they can experience the calm in the middle. Listen, let me say that God is a miracle worker and he still is a miracle worker. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the stories and the things that we read about in scripture, they are designed to give us hope and faith and belief that God still does today the same that he did when the Bible was written and anywhere in between. God is a miracle worker. The final thing I want us to consider is we, we see panic, we see, we see uh, prosecution, we see perseverance. And number four, I want to see peace. I want to see sort of the result. How do we find actual peace in the storm? Now back to our original story in Mark 4. Jesus wakes up from his nap, turns to the disciples. He's like, why are you, why are you freaking out? Why are you so afraid? And then he turns to the storm and I love it. He says, peace, be still. Peace, be still. No worries, no stress, no real effort. Even, she's just okay. Peace, like storm. You've had your time. It's over now. Peace, and we're told that there was a great calm after. It's it's the the idea is that as great of a storm that there was, there was equally as great of a calm. You know how sometimes when we experience it, because we live in South Florida, but when there's crazy storm and wind that just pops up out of nowhere, it's like, oh, like it's shocking sometimes, like, this is intense, this is crazy. And then how many of you know there's often nights and, and times where there's such a great calm that it also makes you notice too? It's like the regular days you don't really pay attention to. It's like, ah, oh, there's like a little bit of wind and, and rain in the afternoon, like, we're used to that. But when it's like, whoa, it is a, and we get those pink sunsets. And there's just one of those those evenings that it's like, there's a great calm. That's the idea. That's the language here. That there was a great storm that they thought they were going to die in. And then there was equally as great of a calm after Jesus intervened in their storm. A A calm that would cause you to pause and reflect in that moment. And Jesus turns to them. I love it. He he calms the storm. He turns to them and he says, why are you afraid? Now, in the moment when the storm is gone, it's easy to say, well, now we're not afraid. Yeah, I mean, five minutes ago we were afraid because you saw the storm. Of course we were afraid. Why are you so afraid? And it's funny how after the difficulty is over, it's hard to even imagine why we were so worked up to begin with. Isn't it true, like you ever fought with somebody and you're like, what are we even fighting about? What is even going on? It's just kind of like that, that sobering reminder afterwards, like, oh yeah, this, I guess, wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was. But the great calm after the storm was a representation of the great calm that Jesus had in the middle of the storm. Let's say that again. The great calm after the storm was a representation of the great calm that Jesus had during the storm. How do I know? He's asleep. That, that should be an indication that Jesus isn't worried about it. Because I mean, if you're anything like me, when I'm worried about something, sleep is one of the first things to go. Right? You lay in bed at night and you just think about all the things that you're worried about. You don't get anything done. Of course not. That, that's ridiculous. We just lay in bed and worry about how we're not getting anything done. But, but sleep for me is one of the things where when I'm anxious or I'm nervous or I feel overwhelmed about something. I lay, it's like bed is just the worst place to be. I'm just tortured, just trying to think about how am I going to solve this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to figure this out? For Jesus, in the middle of the storm, not worried about it. He's, he's sawing logs in the stern. like He is fine. He is asleep on a pillow. He isn't worried. And the peace of Jesus in the storm should speak of the fact that he is in control. I would hope that if I was in the boat and we're in the middle of the storm and Jesus was asleep on a pillow, I would grab a pillow and just snuggle up next to him. I bet like, if, if he's not worried, I'm not worried. Like if Jesus is sleeping, all right, good night, everybody. Like I'll see you on the other side. And then at the very least, if, if the storm comes and chaos happens and we all die, not my fault. I was doing what Jesus was doing, like. I'm just asleep on a pillow. You, you, you would hope, you would think that his peace would provide peace for you. That the fact that Jesus is, is comforted and, and the fact that he is asleep and has peace in the middle of the storm would cause us to go, okay, I can have that peace too. We need to allow his peace to bring us peace. And listen, that comes with the release of control. That comes where we go, Jesus, you're, you're in charge. If you're asleep, I'm going to trust you. God, if you're, if you, when you get worried about it, when you get stressed about it, then I'll get stressed about it. Until then, I'll just have peace. I'll trust that you are in control. I'm going to close. Um, worship team, you guys can come back up here. Um, but uh, it's kind of a silly story to hopefully illustrate this um, idea. But a uh, couple months ago around Christmas time my little brother uh, Shane decided he's been a skateboarder his l- whole life he decided he wanted to get into surfing and uh, so we actually came down here we went to Island Water Sports Max and James hooked us up and uh, we got uh, a surfboard for my brother Shane and uh, he got like a longboard so we've been surfing and uh, we went to a uh, spot in Vero Fort Pearson that we were surfing out there and Fort Pierce is kind of known for its spinner sharks You guys ever heard of a spinner shark? You guys seen those things? They're the weirdest things in the whole world because I don't think they do anything. They literally just jump out of the water and spin. And it's like, I call them like shark fireworks because you just see them out the back, just like, I don't know what they're doing. Like if they're showing off, I don't know. But they're just out there. And from my experience, they're completely harmless. They're just, they're in their own world. You know what I mean? Like they're doing ballet out the back. They're not worried about you. And uh, so... My brother, who just recently started surfing, he saw this and he's like, whoa, what is that? I'm like, ah, don't worry about it. a spinner shark, it's not going to bother you. He's like, okay, if you say so, I'm going to trust you. And so we kept surfing. No big deal. We went home. It was fine. A few days later, we um, went surfing again. We went to a different place. This place is called Monster Hole. Um, and uh, it's, it's this wave that breaks uh, near Sebastian Inlet. It's about a half mile out to sea. And you can see it when you go over the Sebastian Inlet Bridge. If you've ever been over there, you know there's the bridge over the inlet. You can see Sebastian Inlet. And there's this wave that breaks out the back. And it's kind of like this elusive wave that you're like, it's, it's dreamy from the beach. It's kind of eerie when you paddle out there. And him and I were like, Let's, why not? Let's just go for it. Like, it's just the two of us. We've got our long boards. Let's just go out there. So we paddle out there. We get out there. And it was kind of, I mean, it's a half mile. He's dying. He's like, not ready for this. He just started surfing. He's like, what are you making me do? So we paddle out there. And there's a reason it's called Monster Hole. Um, if you don't know, the reason why it's called Monster Hole is because there are sharks that like to hang out out there. The monster hole. It's like, I don't know. They all just meet up and have, hang out. I don't know. Um, anyway, so, so we're out there. We've been out there for maybe five or ten minutes after paddling a half an hour to get out there. And uh, all of a sudden, I see behind him a fin, like probably this big, just goes, and then just back under. And my eyes, like, got the size of a grapefruit. Like, I'm like, and Sh- Shane saw it too, and he's like, what was that? <laughs> and I go, I go, oh no. And he said, oh no, <laughs> like, what do you mean, oh no? And I'm like, um, let's, just, let's just paddle in, wanna paddle in? And he's like, said to me on the beach, I have never seen you paddle in from surfing ever in your whole life. And uh, fast forward, we found out um, that there's been a, like a 10 foot hammerhead that's been hanging out at monster hole from some fishermen and I'm almost 100% certain that that's the buddy that we saw um anyways the reason I'm saying all of this is because in the first moment when we saw the spinner sharks my peace in that situation brought my little brother peace he's like if you're not worried about it I'm not worried about it if you're not if you're not stressed out about it I'm fine I won't think about it let's move out or move on. Let me tell you that my reaction in the second situation brought him no peace whatsoever. (laughs) He was like, (laughs) if you weren't even bothered by 20 sharks out the back and one shark made you paddle in, this is not good. But can I tell you that there's never going to be a situation in your life that's going to cause God to go, oh no. There's never going to be a storm in your life, a chaos moment in your life where God's going to go, yeah, we should probably leave now. Like, this is not good. That God always has peace for us. That God is always in control. He's never going to panic. He's never going to be in a moment in your life where you feel overwhelmed and he's overwhelmed too and he just begins to, I don't know what to do. Let me tell you, God's in control. And let me tell you, not only is he in control, but he's caring and he's compassionate and he has a plan and he loves us. And there's never going to be a moment when we feel overwhelmed and whether we're panicking or whether we're blaming or whether we have just got our head down and we keep going, there's never going to be a moment where God has lost control or he's like, I don't know what to do. So what we need to learn to do is lean into who he is and allow the peace of God The peace of God, that scripture says, that surpasses all understanding. The peace of God that doesn't make sense because we're in the middle of chaos and when everybody else around us is losing their mind or, or blaming God or forgetting about God or moving on to other things and we have peace that doesn't make any sense, allow his peace to bring you peace. Let go, trust in God, release the control, lean into him and watch as he takes care of it. He provides peace in the storm. And sometimes sometimes, all, all, what, we, what we need to learn to do is, is maybe sometimes God's not going to wake up and he's not going to uh, immediately calm, calm the storm. Maybe we just need to learn to grab a pillow and go to sleep. Maybe we just need to learn to go like, okay, God, you're in control. I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of these details. And I'm not going to panic because my panic or my my just resolve is not going to solve the problem. I'm trusting you're going to solve the problem. And I'm going to trust you along the way. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out SolaceChurch.com.